This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. There's no problem with preseason football. You don't think so? The, the problem is the expectations for preseason football. There's no right. prop. There's no problem with preseason football. the The issue is the expectations that get kind of adorned to it, and and that might be the 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 sort of the industrial media, the trade press's coverage of it. But we're going to have Brock here join us here in just a second. The issue. The issue for me is never that, oh my gosh, it's awful. It's like, well, it's practice games. Like, that's what they are. They're practice games. I think I'm jaded by the lack of meaning and having covered so many of them. I get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm really watching this. And I feel like every single year you are seeing less and less players who actually might have an impact during the regular season. So that's a bit of a bummer. You're probably right. The only thing I suppose that you could do is get a, get rid of it entirely. And would you want to do that at the expense of some of those young players? I would. No, no, you wouldn't. You need to have it. It is Brock. He already joins us here for Blue Forty Two. Here we go. This is Blue Forty Two. We're gonna go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, halfback, flat, on two, ready. Right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue Forty Two. Brock, you tweeted this about the Seahawks game Uh on Saturday. What did I tweet? The eye in the sky in Vegas did not lie. Save for a few flash plays defensively, that was not a pretty picture to the playmaking depth of the Seahawks roster. My biggest concern for Seattle continues to be the cornerback position. Linebackers Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor need to grow in awareness too. So, not so enthused with the defense in this game on Saturday night. Well, I don't know how you could be. I mean, they, they couldn't get off the field. They, they gave up 79 plays. Some of the guys up front played very, very hard, and that's been documented with Green and Robinson, and those guys played hard. For Daryl Taylor's first game in two years, that was awesome to see him cut it loose and, and let it go. And, and But, you know, if you're going to if you're going to beat Indy, if you're going to beat the Rams, if you're going to beat the 49ers, if you're going to beat Arizona, you know, it's not, hey, that was fun that they cut it loose and let it go. It is, you got to be difference makers. Uh, Jordan Brooks got to be a difference maker. And, you know, he's, he's filling some huge shoes. KJ Wright ended up where in the top 100 list last night? 67. Yeah. Yeah. 67. Yeah. He doesn't have a job. What the heck's going on? <laughs> it's nuts. Good for him, Isn't that honestly. Weird? Finally getting recognized, but yeah, he's still unemployed. Well, I think a lot of it was production. You know, guys ran the league, look at the production, you know, and, and saw the batting average and the OPS and the home runs. And for KJ, that was tackles and tackles for loss. But it was, and that was also a respect to, yeah, he played very well last year. He, he was a difference maker, he made big plays for them. So. There was not a lot of that. There were not plays on third down. You know, they could get off the field. What, they give up five straight third downs to begin? I think six of seven, 11 of 17 overall. Look, to, to be fair, though, I mean, the yes. Raiders are out there game planning with the Peter man. Like, oh, when, you, sure. when you give the Peter man oh, yeah. a full game plan, like, you can't expect to stop the Peter man on third downs. That wasn't Derek Carr. That wasn't Ruggs. That wasn't their top running backs, receivers. They were playing their backups, too. And that's why I made that point about depth. 
right? Obviously, this was not the Seahawks frontline guys. There's no Bobby. There's no safeties. You know, unfortunately, Reed's injured right now. Uh, obviously, DK, Tyler, Russ, Chris. I mean, it was your it was your depth. So you wanted to see your depth against their depth. And if you just looked at look at that objectively, people are all fired up at me. Oh, preseason game number one. Stop jumping to complete. I get it. I understand. But there's only three of them. And remember, when this team was humming, and, and I mean humming, those preseason games were blowouts. They were doing to teams what the Raiders' depth did to them. They owned them. And, you know, to me, that was kind of the concerning factor of that, that that was about your depth, the playmaking of your depth. And there was not a whole lot of playmaking to be had Saturday night in Vegas. Am I being too hard on Trey Flowers? Because my my no. reaction that that throw outside the numbers to Zay Jones number seven, I was like that's that's Trey Flowers' career right there in a nutshell. Man does yes. everything right, might even get himself in the right position, but he can't make plays on the ball when he's there, and he's either going to foul or he's going to give up completions. We had a corner, Danny, when I got to Seattle. Really nice guy, great guy. His nickname was almost, almost Fred. <laughs> almost Fred. Dang. He, you know, and, and he's he's there every time. He's covering. He's super quick. He was not nearly as big as Trey's corner, but he was almost Fred. Like, yeah, almost made that play. Almost got your hand on the ball. Almost intercepted it. Almost got to it. I mean, he, good enough to, to almost be there. And Trey's got a ton of experience. He's got a lot of game reps. He has been a starter against number one guys. And that's a play that, man, you're hoping – if the light bulb went on, or you know, I was reading last week about his mindset, he's just cutting it loose, right? He's not overthinking anymore. Well, against the third-string quarterback and a backup wide receiver, that's a play you got to make. It was a good throw. It was, it was an excellent throw. It was a tremendous catch. But this is the NFL, baby. This isn't intramurals. This is the NFL. And you can't be almost at that position. I am concerned about the lack of playmaking ability, potentially, at that cornerback position, too. And when, yeah. I mean, it, that's... That's real. That, that's your that, big that, problem last year, right? You couldn't get off the field. It was it was it was dink and dunk and dink. Dunk. It was a lot of what you saw yesterday. And while yesterday wasn't you know, or excuse me, on Saturday, but while Saturday wasn't you know a complex defensive scheme, still. No, but it's basic football, as right. Pete said. It's playing man and zone. They didn't just play zone on every third down. They mixed up some press man. They, you know, they mixed up some of those looks on third down. Wanted to see guys play man. Couldn't get off the field a few times with tight end little stick routes and slants. He just loved to collision those, right? He just loved to, to see, okay, who's going who's gonna to be the difference maker? Who's going to get us off the field on third down so we don't give up two eight-minute drives to begin the game, right? Who, who is that going to be? And, and then I think over the weekend, the, the corner you had last year played the first half of the year with the bum knee, he gets cut. And, and oh, please don't hear this as go sign him because he couldn't play either. So, yeah, finding a difference-making corner, and that was D.J. Reed, the second half of last season. And let's hope he gets healthy and is squared away and, and can build on what was, a, what was a very good season last year because they are going to need him. Question two. What was that corner's name they, they traded for last year? Quinton Dunbar. There you go. Whew. I couldn't play either. E- easy to forget. He got. He lost his. He lost his next job. He didn't even rob anybody this time. You know what, though, he made plays in that game against the Patriots, which you can't say about many other Seahawks corners. One game. I know. Maybe one one game. game. One game is. <laughs> it's more. Than I'm a, a lot little. Of guys. I'm a little surprised, Brock. We didn't see any of the first string offense. 
in the game. That's yeah. Pete. Pete has always Pete has always erred on that side of taking preseason a little bit too seriously. At least he did yeah. his first five years as head coach. Yeah. Now it sounds like we might not see them the first string offense at all in this preseason. Really? Is that a mistake? Well, I would like to. I would like to see some of that rhythm and timing and, and a little bit of the mix of tempo. Not that you've got to show all the cards, but I thought Saturday night was a byproduct. I think Holmgren was wired similarly, Danny, to, to Coach Carroll. You know, he wanted to play starters, wanted to play his quarterback. And I forget, maybe it was Indy. We played Dwight Freeney in Indy. And, you know, Kitten and John just got smashed because we were like on a third string tackle. And he was like, "Okay, you know, one series out. Let's go or Hasselback. Like, uh, we're not doing this. We're not gonna. We're not gonna expose our quarterback, our franchise quarterback, to third string tackle or fourth string tackle in this case. So I, I thought that was maybe a little more of a byproduct that you know Carson and 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 DK and Tyler don't need reps if they're not with Russell, and we're not gonna play Russell if we got backup center, backup guard, backup left tackle as beat up as they are. So hopefully." I mean, I, I would hope you'd want a little run. I'd hope you'd want to communicate a new language, right? I mean, it's a it's a foreign language for the first time. And now the next two are going to be at home. So at least, you know, it'll be a little easier to communicate. You won't have to deal with some of the noise like you're going to have to deal with week one. And, you know, tempo's wonderful and checks and, and putting all that on Russell's plate is great. He's ready for it. But as we know, man, playing in the NFL on the road, that's not easy to do. Game number one. Amped up place, good indie defense, a lot of speed. I, I would think you would want some live bullets and some live reps before week number one in a whole new system. I really wonder if there will be the kind of crisp cohesion coming out of the gates. And, and Brock, I, I'm curious as to how you felt about Stone Forsyth at left tackle in this game. It's his first game. I don't want to read too much into the corner blitz off the edge. Right. But there were some moments early on where it really looked like he was trying to catch up to the speed of the NFL. Yeah, welcome to the NFL moment. I mean, you're a six-round pick, right, for a reason. Awareness and quickness and all of those things. And on the road with noise. And those Raiders fans got after it a little bit. Their first time to be in the Death Star, and they were excited to to be there. And and you know, backup quarterback and everything else. And whether it was Geno that needed to have a little bit of awareness with a nickel blitz off of that formation, or or whether it needed to be Stone uh, to to see that left guard actually, I thought called it out. A receiver called it out. He started to get a little feel for what was what was coming that they were going to bring, you know, an, an extra man to that side, but. Neither quarterback nor left tackle nor got anybody got that communicated and yeah that was a, it was a rough night, but that's what I expected. I mean, did, did I expect Stone Forsyth to come in and, and be a monster lockdown? Shut it! No, he's going to be a developmental guy that's going to take some time to grow and develop and quickness and awareness and and hopefully he can make it in this league when you're a six round pick. That's my expectation and projection and even more. Why you need Dwayne and Jamarco and. And uh, even Obwehi up front to find a way to get themselves healthy or on the field. Insert Dwayne Brown's pocketbook. Feeling pretty <laughs> good about Saturday night. Well, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Danny, you uh, parsed Pete very well. Did you parse John Schneider pregame? Yes. What translation parse? is? We're, we're not. We're, we're not doing anything on Dwayne. And for those that didn't hear it, basically, John said, "What we have twenty-one. Twenty-one. We guys. have twenty-one guys, but." 
last year of the that, contract. That leads to the if we open this door, because I think they are going to extend Quandre Diggs. Like, I, I think once and if Adams gets done, I think Diggs is next. I, I think the issue is Dwayne Brown's age and kind of the question of how, I mean, I, I guess we talked about this on Friday, Brock. Like, yeah. Over the offseason, there was some question that Dwayne Brown had communicated to people about whether or not he was going to come back and play this year. And if if at training camp you're hearing that a guy that there was at least some uncertainty about whether he was going to be back this year wants to be paid for next year too, like you're like, whoa, hold on just a second. Like, what are we doing here? Well, was that uncertainty in the offseason a precursor to this? Was it a maybe, but that's a weird that's a weird negotiating ploy, right? Yeah. Like if you're an old dude if you're an older player, Who's going to try to say, like, no, man, I'm still geared up and I'm still ready to go. Like, you don't tell them, like, I, I might be done after this year. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's Tough spot, it, man. It, it's it is. Not, it's not the spot you want to be in. It's not the spot GM wants to be in necessarily. It's certainly not the spot quarterback wants to be in or new first-time play caller to sit and have to worry and adjust my system. And, man, I'd really like to do this. I'd really like to get people out. I'd really like to play fast. I'd really, really be uh, very comfortable if I had one of the best left tackles in all the game. I mean, the difference between, and we've said this a ton, between Walter Jones and everybody else for those years and the burden that it puts on play caller, the burden it puts on protection, the burden it puts on scheme to make sure, geez, we got to count for this guy and we got to slide here. And, oh, by the way, yeah, we'll probably have Leonard Floyd on that side. We'll have Chandler Jones on that side. We'll have Bosa on that side. Oh, no, no, Chandler Jones might not be playing because he's right. mad too. Yeah, like just have enough of those guys ask for their own contracts. Problem yes. solved. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Question number three, Brock. This has to do with Stone Forsyth a little bit. Geno Smith got walloped on that <sighs> cornerback blitz, and it was strange to see how it was handled because he was out for the next play. I assumed that he was concussed. But then he came back in, he was still playing, and then the next thing you know, he's being removed from the game for a concussion. I'm guessing things are not so advanced compared to your day in the NFL as far as evaluating those concussions. Head injuries are a weird thing, man. They're, they're, you know, brains, it's bruising your brain. That's what a concussion is. It's bruising your brain. Does that bruise show up immediately and, and knock you out completely? As I've seen guys, yes. Is it times those guys that get knocked out completely, do they bounce back? Uh, and, and wow, I'm fine. You know, I'm totally fine. Yeah. Uh, do you get a bruise like I did where I was a, a zombie for three days, sleeping 20 hours a day? Like, man, I was just out of it, just totally gone. On what was a rather innocuous hit? Yes. Uh, did I get my face and my teeth? And, and, and I, I got hit hard, so hard one time, Paul, actually against the Raiders. In the preseason game, we were playing in the uh, old Coliseum, the dump, uh, the hard baseball field on the ground. We run sprint left option, kind of like, you know, the miscommunication the other night. We run sprint left option, and the fullback is supposed to block the end man on the line. E-M-O-L. E-M-O-L. End man, whoever that is. You just go and throw your body at his outside thigh pad, and that way I can get outside and just get the ball out in three or five steps. Fullback blocked end. Linebacker came, did not see him. I did not see him. On film, I become Ichabod Crane Heward. My head disappears. You could pause it, and my head disappeared. The top of my head hit that dirt. I, it was the hardest, most violent, other than John Mobley knocking my kidney loose. I sat there on my Ow. knees, on that dirt, and I felt for my face. I was like, is my face still here? Are my teeth <laughs> in my mouth? Oh my God. Is my chin, like, I honestly, that was my first reaction, is I had to feel for my mouth and my chin and my teeth. Is my face still attached? And it was. And I got up, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. 
Face is attached. Teeth are in place. <laughs> Next know. play. And but you know I got hit to the front, and your skull's thicker in the front and the back. And and if you take some of those shots, it was actually I think the it wasn't the the hit from maybe the front. I think it was the backside kind of side blow that got Gino. And you know you're dazed. Maybe he felt felt like okay I'm all right. And then immediately or you know a series or two later, dizzy, bright lights, all the other symptoms start to appear. And and I doubt that he's going to be available this week. That is Brock Heward for Blue 42. Any chance to see Tebow's blocking efforts? I'm currently debating those with Will Blackman. Well, the one that he's getting ripped for. The one where he's in motion? Yeah. I mean, at least he, he did his job. The guy didn't make the tackle. <laughs> That's what I tried to tell Will. Yes. <laughs> I mean, right? It was actually a positive run, and your job is to block that guy. Do you have to deplete him? <laughs> That was my point is, like, if his job is to pin number 59, yes, the linebacker he inside, he, he, he did his job. 50, 59. Will's point to me was, dude, if 59 does his job, he destroys that play. Like, he made a deal with Tebow. <laughs> they, both, they both decided that they, for who, for what sort of preseason <laughs> yes. moment. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of fair because we've seen Luke Wilson how many times on that play come across and sacrifice his body and at times yes. just gets he get you can get blown up right you're coming across and you know that's the extra defender and sometimes he sees you and he just knocks you out but you did your job and you know he occupied you occupied that that end and, and the running back runs by i thought i don't know why he's getting killed for that one the next one which was where he gets ragdolled was a whole lot more embarrassing than that one but yeah, ways to go. Learning curve for Mr. Tebow, too. <laughs> he is Brock Heward. Brock, we will talk to you tomorrow. Okay, we'll be a little more positive tomorrow. That, was, that, <laughs> that, that sounds felt, good. That sounds that good. That felt like 17 minutes of a little negativity. We'll be a little more positive yeah, I like tomorrow. It. All right, just, boys. Just, just wailing away on him. Uh, that is Brock Heward. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The Mariners keeping themselves in the conversation. I, I, want, I want some odds. I want people to, to send in their odds of what they think Seattle's playoff likelihood is. I know what baseball reference says, and I'll give you those in a second. Seattle is right now, they're, they're among five teams playing for two wildcard spots. Now, it gets a little fuzzy because Boston right now is in the wildcard spot. They're close enough to the Tampa Bay Rays that they could leap up and it'll be the Rays instead. But whoever, so it's whoever doesn't win the AL East... The Yankees, the Blue Jays, the A's, because they're not going to win the West. They're going to be, and then the Mariners. The Mariners are fifth out of that group right now. But they're only five and a half back of the two teams right now that are tied for that wild card spot, which right now it's Boston and it's Oakland. They're a game back of Toronto, and they're, what, they're three games back of, of the Yankees, who are, yeah. are, are, are in that... What are the odds that Seattle wins one of those two wild card playoff spots? Oh man, if we're putting a percentage on it, you know, I know it's at one percent. I will go. Ta- as- you were supposed to reveal it. That was supposed to be my, oh, my big bad. hidden Sorry. thing at the end. I'm going to say six percent. I'm going to say okay, six. One in twenty. One out of one out. Of, basically, one out of twenty times they're going to they're going to win one of those playoff spots. Here's why. I mean, they got some real just dregs on the schedule the rest yeah. of the way. Kansas City, Arizona, twice. Uh, the a- Angels twice. So they have that. The problem is they also have 18 games left against good baseball teams. And while they took care of business against the Toronto Blue Jays to open that up, 21 games, I said, going into it. So you've won two or three to start things off. But 
how are you going to do when you are playing a lot of games against Houston and Oakland, not to mention the Boston Red Sox, who are, I would imagine, in mid-September going to be in the midst of either trying to get the American League East title or holding off the New York Yankees, who have been coming on their heels exceptionally hot of late. Now, the interesting thing is Baseball Reference lists the Blue Jays, who are technically right now behind the Yankees, as having a significantly better chance at the postseason than the Yankees. The reason that that's based on is looking at how the teams have performed. It's not record. It's it's looking at how the teams have performed and how you project them that them finishing. Saying Probably that Toronto the, has the better offense and Toronto, yeah. they think Toronto's going to end up end up outpacing them. I would say though, big potential wrinkle in Toronto's plan on Saturday night, where you saw George Springer dive into the wall, and that looked like it was a pretty serious injury that he had when he dove into it. I mean, he's been clobbering it since he came back from injury, where he missed the first couple months of the year. That does bring the Blue Jays' offense back down to earth, though their offense has been awesome all year long, even with Springer out. A quick moment. That was lame that it was cheered. Yep. Th- that, that, that was really lame that it was yep, cheered. It was. And I, I understand when fans do that, and this isn't that Seattle fans are worse than anybody else because it's happened at a lot of different places. It's lame when you cheer an injured player. I don't care if that player is the most hated rival of your team or if he's been part of a cheating scandal in which George Springer has or if it was Navarro Bowman when he got hurt in the NFC Championship game and somebody threw popcorn. It's lame when fans cheer an injured player. If you think that was karma, you're a loser, period. George Springer is, I I can speak for his character, that is a a great person. And I know, yes, the cheating scandal, he's a part of it, but, I mean, that's that's a real stand-up person. And... uh, yeah, that bothered me. That bothered me on Saturday night. With the Mariners' chances. So they have to have... They don't have to have the best record of those five teams. They have to have one of the top two records. And I think if they win two-thirds of their games, I think they're going to get there. And that's not that's not a 1% chance, as Baseball Reference has it listed. Like, it's really... it's It's not. Because... And my rationale is that the Mariners are a young enough team that... It, they've got some young hitters who could take some jumps. If Jared Kelnick plays like he's played the last two weeks instead of how he played the first couple months, like that's a significant difference. If Kyle Lewis comes back, which he's having batting practice right now, like there's there's the possibility that your that your lineup is going to get better over the over the final course. And you've got enough games against Oakland that you can certainly catch them. But I think it's more like ten percent, and that's mm. still not. I don't think that this is a, a prayer and that that it's that it's just a matter of hey this is the longest of all. I don't think this is like 95 even. I I I think they've got they've got a reasonable a reasonable shot. They've got like a half court heave at it. It's not likely. I don't expect it to happen, but I don't think this is a a 1 a 1% shot in the dark. When you have that many games against those bad teams, you definitely have a chance. You just have to take care of them. You can't you know the the series that you've had, series the series against Texas that you have had, were, or Detroit, some of those teams where you're better than them and you've blown it. You cannot afford any of those the rest of the way. That's the that's the big factor here. If they take care of business, they will be hanging around. It's Danny and Gallant. Uh, we're going to tell you who won the weekend. There's a lot of different candidates, including a couple from the Mariners. New feature we're doing here on Danny and Gallant. That's next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Everybody, 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 everybody,
and they stay there. Who won the weekend? We got some different candidates. I want to put Jared Kelnick on there because he hit a 380-foot line drive the opposite way and showed more power than any 22-year-old rookie has a right to. But probably Luis Torrens, right, with his five runs batted in and the end of that. He also had a last week had a had a game-winning hit in which he scored Kelnick. What was that on on Thursday's game? So we've got we've got we've got some candidates here. Who who are your candidates for who won the weekend? Kelnick and Torrens are in a back and forth because Kelnick had a walk off walk, and he's been showing his patience at the plate yes, in those big time spots. I think he deserves credit for that, especially considering how much he maybe had been pressing early on in the year. How about baseball replay? You know, typically baseball replay is a pointless gesture. Because umpires are generally going to protect themselves. But how about in the ninth inning when Tom Murphy on a bam-bam double play doesn't look like he got the tag. It's ruled a run for the Blue Jays. They review it. The run gets overturned. And that set up the walk-off walk for the Mariners. A baseball it, replay. It, it did. That was a heck of a tag by Murphy. And I can't believe it he was, got him. It was weird. I'm not sure how – this is in all honesty – I'm not sure what they saw that led them to conclude that so conclusively. I, I, I'm not either. I mean, if this was the NFL, that was inconclusive, right? That was my thought, was that I think he tagged him. I think he got him, but I can't see it for sure. I, I thought he missed him. and I was like, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm cool with the results of this. They actually overturned the call, and they might have gotten it wrong. How about the one touchdown that the Seahawks scored on Saturday night? Do we, do we, do we raise one for the dude oh, no. who scored that specific touchdown, my man? D. Jay Dallas. <laughs> Magoo takes the shotgun snap. Here comes the blitz. Quick pass out to the far side. DJ Dallas on the run. Down to the 30. Down to the 25 to 20. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. From 39 yards out, Magoo swings the pass out against the blitz to a wide open DJ Dallas. And he takes it. I add a couple yards. 43 yards for the touchdown. And the Seahawks get on the board. It's now 13-6. You can do it again. DJ Dallas! Now I know why we played that song coming in, because that is uh, what you play at the beginning of uh, All I Do Is Win, Win, Win. That was a really nice tight roping of the sideline. I thought for sure he was going to get run out of bounds. He looks so confident running down the field, too. He's pointing out, hey, I, I believe, who's number uh, the, the 88? The, was it Cade uh, Robinson? Kay Johnson, who was out there, and he was like, hey, block, and, and, and he didn't even need the block. Somehow he was able to slip around. That was nice, and uh, we, we touched on this before the show, Danny. Maybe this opens things up for another element of DJ Dallas's game. Or being a kickoff return, right. which, which he looked pretty competent there. We also saw Trey Brown. Do we broaden, do we broaden our horizons and, and ask if, if somebody from down in the Bay Area, which they're already trying to rename for the rookie quarterback, or we just root for a quarterback controversy? I think that down, is what we root for, yes. The, the, the 49ers here was the, the highlight from the 49ers preseason game on, on Saturday night. They're going to boot the quarterback left. Here he goes, deep downfield. Trent Sherfield's got it! Traerio! So his first throw's incomplete on a drop. The second one's a touchdown. House call. Traerio, oh boy. Isn't that the guy who used to be the Raiders play-by-play too? I think it is. Anywho. Greg Papa, yeah. Yeah. Greg Papa. Who are you going to call Greg Papa? Blood trade. Uh, If... Who are you rooting for to win that job? 
or are you rooting for chaos? If you're a Seahawks fan, who do you want to start at quarterback for the Niners? I think Lance means more growing pains and this year. Mm-hmm. Going forward, I'm concerned no matter what, but I would like Lance to win because I feel like if Lance is in charge, that there will they will lose some games due to rookie mistakes. And given how talented San Francisco's roster is, you might need that if you want to win the NFC West. It's also been a lot of talk of like Matt Ryan when he played for Kyle Shanahan. It really took him until his second year until he really took off knowing and understanding that offense. So I, I would think having a, 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 a rookie start that from week one is probably the best ticket toward an uncertain start. I think that's I think that would that would, that's the most likely way to land the 49ers in a hole which is we want plus you want them to have doubts about their franchise quarterback, right? Yeah. Like you don't want them to spend the whole season thinking that they've got a Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith like situation on their on their hands in which they're going to eventually shift into overdrive. Also Tyler Gilbert is a rookie, he throws a no-hitter, not Logan Gilbert, Tyler Gilbert, no relation. Tyler Gilbert for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That must be a pretty good feeling, throwing a no-hitter in your first major league start. Doing it for the Arizona Diamondbacks, too. I mean, what a wretched season they have had. That is a team that the Mariners have up ahead. I I would rather Logan Gilbert have done better. Uh, It was a shame to see Logan Gilbert get smacked around yesterday at the ballpark. But, yeah, that's great. Your first start, a no-hitter. Jeez, it's all downhill from here, I guess. Well, we have published a poll. Maura Dooley, our producer, has put it out. I've retweeted it. We got about 100 votes in it. Who won the weekend? Luis Torrens, Tyler Gilbert, Trey Lance, or DJ Dallas? Is R2-D2 in the background? I like it. It's correct. We're computing those. Who would, who would your vote go to, Paul? Uh, you know, well, i, I got to pick between those four. I, I got to give it to Torrens. I got to yeah. give it to Torrens. I, I would have liked to see a little more out of Dallas. And I can't give it to Trey Lance. No, I, I, I get canceled for that opinion. Uh, Trey Lance got 6.3% of the votes. Uh, Luis Torrens did win it at 43.8%. Look, they all of a sudden opened the floodgates. The Mariners had gone through basically a two-week stretch in which all of their games had been decided by one or two runs. All of their games had been decided by one or two runs. And Torrens, with those five runs that he drove in in the Mariners' final two at-bats on Saturday, hits a three-run homer and then what scored two with his double in the eighth inning, and the Mariners end up winning 9-3. to It kind of opened the floodgates and changed. This feels a lot different than them coming back to win that game and going into, even though they were beaten yesterday, they head back out on the road. They got three games against Texas, against the Rangers, which they need, and then you've got five games total against first the Astros, and then and then two games on the road against the A's. In what is once again, I feel like this has been their last three 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 road trips, like a critical road trip for this team. Yeah, and now, oof. I mean, if you look ahead. How many of these series do you feel good about? How I feel ma- really good about how they're playing. I, I think they're I playing good baseball. I, I, but this is this is the problem. Like Texas is weird. Whenever you feel good about the Mariners going up against Texas, that's when they don't do well, right? And I mean, last year they owned them, and then the years before that too. They they've had a lot. They've had Texas's number, but recently Texas has been annoyingly good in these series against Seattle and those games that they have blown along the way. I mean, that's why they're. You know, five and a half back as opposed to three and a half or two and a half out of the wild card spot. It's Danny and Gallant coming up next. We are going to take a look and try and tell you exactly what's happening with two things. The first is Jamal Adams' contract, which is being described as exasperated by one moron. And then we're going to try and find the logic behind the new taunting rule, which looks as awful as advertised. That's ahead. 
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I saw this headline over the weekend, Danny, and I thought of you. It came from a scribe that I know you love. Pro Football Talk headline. Exasperated Seahawks plan to let Jamal Adams finish rookie deal. Tag him twice if need be. That's a ridiculous headline for this simple fact. I don't think the Seahawks are exasperated at all. I don't either. Like, that's not an accurate description of, of how anybody's feeling. I don't think that means they're going to move or that they consider like this, this a, a negotiation that is, that is ongoing. They feel like they've, they've gotten to a point that should result in a deal. But I don't feel they're at some breaking point. Mike Florio has a longstanding issue with Seattle. And the bias comes out clearly in the way he couches and frames things. And you can see that through the sequence of coverage that he has in this issue on Jamal Adams. How can you tell what Seattle's going to do for the next two years? How can you say right now that Seattle is going to say, all right, that's it, we're done with you. You think if Jamal Adams comes in today and says, I will take that last offer that was on the table, that Seattle's going to say no? Like, do you, do you, that's what that headline kind of implies, right? Yeah. But no, it's just, it's, it's exactly what Mike Florio does, which is he takes a bunch of fairly loaded phrases that don't actually mean that much. What does that tell you about what's going to happen in the future? Very little. Exasperated Seahawks plan to tag Jamal Adams twice. He's telling us what's going to happen over the next three years of that payroll. That word exasperated is very loaded, and my gut tells me that given Mike Florio's, I think, close relationship with a lot of agents across the league, that that specific word came from an agent. I could be wrong on that front, but do you think the Seahawks would sign no. their name on a word like that if they were describing no. the situation? I doubt it. Now, no. per this post, Danny, a league source tells Pro Football Talk the Seahawks are truly done negotiating with Adams. They believe they That might a- be true. That that part might be true. Like they they might be at a point where we're not moving anymore. That part might be true. I could see that too. And they believe they're at a point where they made a fair and appropriate offer. They're saying that if he doesn't want to accept it, that they would consider franchise tagging him twice. I guess with this offer still on the table for 2022 and 2023. Well, you do get to a point with franchise tags where you can't ex- you can't offer longer term extensions. I, I, I think that that part of the, the, the report is I do think Seattle's made an offer that they say, hey, this is what they usually sign a guy. When they extend a player, usually it's for a million dollars above market rate. This offer on the extension is more than that. They've gone above and beyond what they usually do with their position, and in part, in their mind, that's a recognition of the value that Jamal Adams has, and probably, frankly, the fact that they do want him signed long-term given everything that they gave up to get him. If if they don't, if he doesn't accept that, though, their approach is not going to be this offseason. Thanks, dude. Enjoy unrestricted free agency, That's and no one should expect that that's what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one, and you know, I, I look at his agent, uh, Kevin Connor who has been Tredavious White's agent as well. I looked last year to see if there are any similarities to the back and forth between the Bills and Tredavious White and the back and forth between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams. There was radio silence for essentially a month from August 5th before White signed his extension, I believe, September 5th, making him the highest paid corner in the NFL. The only conversation was, I'm not in a rush to sign a contract, and he had thought about opting out 
for COVID-19 reasons. So this goes back to the back and forth between Adams and the Seahawks. And there's another post that just came up a couple of minutes ago, Danny. Source, Jamal Adams would challenge safety-based franchise tag. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. Where do you think this Florio carrying a flag against the Seattle Seahawks is coming from? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not inside his head. Right. I, I don't I don't know. I will tell you that he is I get is the same typically, read, though. He, he, he is typically... He, he is typically... I feel that most of the phrasing of his news is biased in a way that makes it seem like Seattle is facing some sort of undue pressure or has mismanaged this. The, the issue with Jamal Adams' contract, he's been saying this for a year, is that he thinks they should have signed him to an extension when they did the deal to trade for him. But where does it come... I don't know. He's a pretty reliable uh, ventriloquist when it comes to <laughs> Russell Wilson's. I, yes, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure why he does. But he typically he was the one that had the post this year talking about Pete Carroll having final say and sort of characterizing that his power's unchecked. It's it's a consistent theme that's gone through the past eleven years, which is that he 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 tends to characterize Seattle as a team that doesn't know what it's doing, despite the fact that there's 11 years of history showing that they, they really do have a pretty good firm grasp of what's going on. I'm getting the same sense that you are here, and I'm especially feeling it today, because, yeah, I, I just don't think that things are as bad as they're being made out to be publicly. Yes, I'm sure that there is a crossroads that has perhaps been reached, but it's not like the crossroads is going to lead to Jamal Adams being elsewhere or probably not playing this season. I don't think anyone buys into that. This is a micromanaging of moves two and three years ahead of time. Jamal Adams has a very simple decision in front of him. He can choose to accept the contract that's been offered, which is a, a four-year extension that will pay him $70 million with 38 to $40 million of that, $38 million of that guaranteed. He can choose to not accept that and not play this year, in which case he won't make the salary of $10 million. Right, like right. every game he misses, will take a chunk out of that. He would probably show up at some point during this this season to prevent the contract from tolling, or he can play out the final season of the contract, show up and play all of those games, make the ten point eight million dollars, and at the end of that, be scheduled to become an unrestricted free agent. At which point, Seattle would have a decision about whether or not they apply the franchise tag to him, which they almost certainly would because they wouldn't want him to walk for anything. Like that's 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 the full range, and all of those. None of those scenarios are outside the realm of possibility. I think he's ultimately going to end up signing for the the extension that's on the table because he won't want to take the risk of injury and what that would mean toward leaving $38 million that are out there. I, I agree. I agree. I feel like this is probably, after a couple of weeks, something that he could come back to and say, okay, well, we were really close to the finish line, and it did seem that way not too long ago. We saw that report about what the Seahawks had left on the table. It sounded like there were some really minor details that they were trying to iron out. It's Danny and Gallant. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. We saw enforcement of the NFL's new taunting rule over the weekend. We saw it when Colts running back Benny LeMay had a really nice run. I mean, he's broad. There's, there's, a, there's a crowd of defenders, and he drags that crowd of defenders 10 yards. He gets out of the crowd and looks down at the last person who tackled him. I don't know if he said something there, but he made a quick little gesture, and it was essentially like a gesture of two fist pumping, flexing essentially. And then he turned and he went upfield. Ref throws the flag for taunting. If you're just factoring the visuals in, Danny, if that's what the NFL is going to start throwing 15-yard penalties on, then we're going to see a lot of laundry this year. 
it stinks because I think anybody that watches that, it's possible that LeMay basically said, let's go. Yeah. Like, you watch it. Like, it's it's very possible. And maybe he said something else. But it's very possible that he just kind of pumped his fist and he was looking down at the defender, but he just dragged a pile of guys. I, I don't know why the NFL is doing this. But it must be at some point they think that this is costing them money, right? Because, like, we could talk about the no fun league and all. Like, there's somebody in there business operations that thinks it will benefit the league's bottom line to get that sort of gesturing out of the game. And I can't for the life of me figure out why that is. I I don't either. I mean, does it turn off older viewers? Does it turn off older fans of the NFL? I guess, but at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that I don't really understand, but Juju Smith-Schuster's TikTok dances before games there is an audience for that. It's a young audience that I imagine the league is trying to captivate. And I don't think that think about the children is actually the smart play here if that's what the NFL is thinking too. And I, I don't know that they're going that route. Do you think that's what it is? See, I wonder if they've either are making a miscalculation or have gotten information that advertisers don't like the taunting. That advertisers, because that's something the NFL would listen to. I don't, I don't believe for a second that the NFL has any sort of hidden heart of gold where they're like, we really need to get taunting out of the game to get back to. I mean, dude, they're letting Deshaun Watson basically make a farce of. If they really had a moral center, wouldn't they address that issue as opposed to taunting? <laughs> yes, I so agree. The the re- I think I think the honest way to look at it is that the NFL prote- pro- protects what it perceives to be the bottom line. They can make mistakes in that, but they. They don't. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They must be doing it because they think advertisers don't like it. And that's weird too. Imagine the many alcohol companies, the many beer beer brands that would be upset with taunting. It feels like it's completely against their nature. He's Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle. Just when we thought we were out on the Mariners, they pull us back in. We'll tell you how they did it and how they're keeping the center stage next, right here.